So we say yes, so we say yes. Is anybody out there saying yes to God? Thank you, Lord. We do thank you, Jesus. We bless you this morning, Lord. Thank you if we can gather in your name for your purposes, Lord. This is exactly what we want. And we also take pleasure in knowing it's exactly what you want. Lord, that we would uh, we would assemble together so that you might be glorified and we might be encouraged, instructed, revelated, healed, convicted, informed, prepared, in alignment, God, with all that you're doing on earth in these most critical days. Lord, you said it from your own lips. So we ask you to open your word to us again, God, that you might be glorified and we might be transformed. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 This is the final time that we're gathering for this year. Um, I, that was not the plan, but um, late this week, I was asked to speak at church next Sunday, and I, with all that's going on, I, 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 there's no way I'd get, do that justice and do this justice. And the second small half, if you will, of Daniel 9, which is like four verses, but they're critical to the whole prophetic plan. They don't deserve to be half of a session nor half of my attention. So I'm going to read my little note here because I have a micro sermon in it. Over and over again, I just, I want to be in tune with the heart of the Lord for our church, our church. And I want to talk a minute about church. And I want to say, I am seeing it from 8,000 directions. There is such a battle against fellowship. There is such a driving force of division, of busyness, of course, which is just part of the season, so we got to deal with that, and that's just the way it is. But I mean, just people at odds with each other, misinterpreting each other, people taking a small group and, and thinking it qualifies as a great congregation. It doesn't. Our Saturdays are glorious. I'm grateful to the Lord. But this is not church. This is a small group specified and purposed for something that maybe in this kind of depth you can't get into with everybody. So... Please do all the things the scriptures are telling us to do for your safety in these days. Like, you know, in Ephesians it says, in the evil day having done all to stand, we have to be doing it all. I'm not just saying you, I'm saying me. I have to be doing it all. I need little group, big group. I need to be speaking into people. People need to speak into me. I need prayer. I need worship. I need the word. I need correction. I, I need the need. So do you. And so because of what's upcoming, which is the conclusion of this message, because of the outpouring that's going to be coming on the church in these days, which is unnegotiable, that's a good unnegotiable. It's not just the destruction on the earth, who will annul it, like Isaiah 14, but it says an outpouring on the church. If we look at the reference point of shadow healings and Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead for exaggerating, we're seeing an elevated bar of anointing and accountability going hand in hand. And so whatever is out of order, these are the days to say, God, if this thing's out of order in my life, I want them out of order. I want them in order. I want them out of, out of order. Okay. I want them in order. I want to get this as right as I humanly can and knowing joyfully that he knows we're human. So that's the big compensator. But we have to understand that, that, you know, I, I said it to someone years ago saying, you know, right now we sort of treat the scriptures as a buffet. You know, I'm not comfortable with this or I've seen this mishandled or, you know, prophecy has been abused or, or anything. Yes. Sorry. Someone <laughs> someone put up a little thing because I spoke in L.A. a week or two, two weeks ago. 
And I basically said, I apologize for the kingdom of God. Now get over it. Like you have to get over it. And you, when you look around and you've been saved more than 10 years, you start thinking, where are the people who were saved 10 years ago, who walked next to me 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago, 50? And, you know, many of them are doing fine. We just lost touch. So we're not like the plumb line of all excellence. But there were many who have just stopped or drifted away or laid hold of the fence or something like that or established some personal doctrine that is holding them back. From progress and we don't these are not the days to do that so anyway rob and i were reading psalms this week and we kept seeing the words great assembly you know and we keep thinking there's a purpose for the great there's things that will that the because he's coming back he's coming back for home groups and bible study obviously but he's coming back for his body the bride and we want to be blessing that we want to be praying for that it's a guaranteed it's an offensive place it's intended to offend you because the little groups you pick, <laughs> big group you really don't pick. If God calls you someplace, that's where you better be for the extent of the blessing. So all that is one reason why we're not meeting next week is because I really want to pray into what the Lord has for the church that we're going to, which we are blessed to be at. And so I want to make sure I get that right. <clears throat> There's lots more on my plate this week as far as business and wrapping up the year. I've done zero Christmas shopping. Robin has compensated for me. And Sherlock has suffered. I and Sherlock has, <laughs> Sherlock has suffered. The little guy has suffered. And, and once again, in Daniel 9, second, the little second half is very, very important. And I want, I want to get that right. So we plan to be meeting, and then we're going to be in California the following week. So we plan to be meeting today, this morning, and then we're, next time we'll be in 2024. Is that crazy? Yes. <clears throat> so I can't stress this enough, or nor stress this too many times. Israel so needs to get saved. That needs to be our prayer. I am getting a lot of things, even the Christmas cards that we've sent out from our business, the one that we sent out to friends and, and the ones we sent out to business, it's functionally the same card with the bottom ending a little different, but a lot of it is because there's a lot of Jewish people in our lives. One, because I'm Jewish. Two is because I have a lot of Jewish family. Three is because the industry that I'm in is extremely Jewish and there's an invention community in Israel. I am getting stuff back and it's heartbreaking. There's no grid. There's no, oh, we'll overcome. You know, we just have to get in there and, 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 and yeah, you will overcome. But there's certain things we're going to look at today in Jeremiah 31 that come after Jeremiah 30, which is Jacob's trouble. So there's, there's things that have to get addressed in the, in the Jewish world. And there's also, I was on a Zoom call yesterday with someone telling me how some saints had basically said it's the, it's the Jewish problem what's happening in Israel. It's not the church problem. So people are like, don't understand what's, they don't understand scripture, basically. And, and so because of that, there's just a lot of turmoil going on right now. But Israel needs to get saved. We need to be praying for Israel. We need to be praying for God to show mercy to the Jewish people and the Gentile people. There's obviously everybody in this day. He's not willing that any perish. But a lot of people will be perishing. And when you look at most of the scriptures that have to do with the conclusion of the age, they talk about remnant, basically who's still here, survivors, if you do some of the prophetic math in the book of Revelation, it's terribly sobering. And so we have to realize that, that God's called us to really to press in and to press in for them. So God, again, we lift up Israel before you.
we do. We just pray, God, that you have declared them, the my, your stubborn Jewish people, as the apple of your eye, the most sensitive place, and, and you see people taking them as, uh, regarding them with less regard than you do as a poke in your eye. And we don't even want to go there. So we ask you, God, to forgive us and help us, Lord, to love on them and not be intimidated by them, God. We, we have the truth. As saints, under the blood of Jesus, you've called us in, God. And we thank you for that, God. So, you know, he's, he's shaking the world up. We know that. He's, uh, he's awakening the covenant people right now. So a lot of the discomfort that we are having as individuals is purposeful discomfort by God because he's, he's just trying to get us in place. Uh, I actually, in fact, it might be an interesting thing. When I was, um, w when I left um, a corporate job, one of my first jobs was, this is before computers, guys, and um, I used to do those illustrations of like a technical illustration, like a view through, a view through, a view through, cutaways of parts and pieces and stuff, and I started working for this independent high-end engineering company, and I had to draw this vibratory bowl which is this giant bowl, and they would throw parts in it, and the bowl would shake those parts like crazy until it, like they were shaking, loud thing. They would shake, and they'd eventually all line up the right way. And once they were lining up the right way, they'd able to be grabbed and then scribed or inscribed and then packed because they were shaken so much into alignment. And we're in the vibratory bowl right now. A whole lot of shaking going on. <laughs> But the purpose is alignment. It's not chaos. It's to actually get us out of the complacency that, uh, that is actually chaos in the sense of us being disorderly in front of the Lord. So just, it's a good, a great analogy. If you Google, if you look for the pictures of vibratory balls, you go, oh, I get it. So anyway, it was an interesting job. I hated it, but paid the, paid the freight for a while. It drove me crazy, but it was a cool job. Yeah. So... Um, so this is from the NAS, oh, I have NASV and then I have NASB. This is from the NASB because I prefer the wording here, but I want to read, I want to go back into Daniel 8. The tie-in here is so, this is so the Lord. Okay, so we're talking about the little horn. We had addressed this last week. We know that the, the Greek empire, you know, Alexander the Great dies early and his empire splits into four empires. One of them is the Seleucids, there's the Ptolemies down around Egypt and there's other ones, but we're just dealing with the little horn who comes out of the Seleucid Empire. And out of one of them, out of one of these four horns in the imagery of Daniel 8, came forth a rather small horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, towards the east, and toward the beautiful land, which is, guess what, it's Israel. It grew up to the host of heaven and caused some of the hosts and some of the stars to fall to the earth and it trampled them down. So we see there's violence here. There's a destructive tendency. It started off sort of look, looking leak, meek and little. It even magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host and it removed the regular sacrifice from him and the place of his sanctuary was thrown down. So there's there's implications and there's prophetic discussion there, but it's warring against the purposes of God. Let's leave it at that for now. Then I heard a holy one speaking and another holy one. So two holy ones. Daniel is learning to interpret dreams by divine revelation. And he sees these two holy beings speaking one to another, said that to that one who was speaking, how long will the vision and the regular sacrifice apply while the transgression causes horror. This is the NASB. So as to allow but the, both the 
holy place and the host to be trampled. And we saw this several times, that we, and we see it throughout the book of Daniel, that the saints are, there's martyrdom at the end, there's trouble, there's incarceration, there's going to be persecution, we're seeing it here, we're seeing pushback already, we're seeing violence to the church, both legally, you know, administratively, but also even physically. Um, I just got an email from the ministry that we're involved with in India, and there's serious troubles going on there with places getting burnt and people losing everything. So here, Daniel, up until this point in all of Daniel's prophecies, remember, we're also tracking the personality and the characters of an amazing man of God who to the end of his life is chasing God hard. He is not retiring. This guy is going hard after God. And he doesn't know yet to ask about how long. This is the first how long. And it's almost like a setup. They're going, hey, let's ask how long between us. So Daniel will hear it and he'll know to ask. And all the people who read this over the next thousand years will have a little bit of a calendar to work from, even though it's not startlingly clear or it might be reserved for those who would press in. He said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored. I love the words properly restored. And that word is sadak in Hebrew. I've done my studying on this this week. It has to do with cleansed. It has to do with cleared. It has to do with justified as in justice served. And it has to do with made right. Now, Dan Bruce, and we don't agree on everything, but Dan Bruce, who has this 2300 discovery, which I sent out to you in your notes if you did read them, is, it's very, very interesting. Good evening, morning. He concluded through all sorts of study, and I'm not arguing at all, I'm in agreement with him, that it has to do with marking Passovers. It has to do with marking Passovers. And it has to do with, when he started doing that, he started counting, remember there was no year zero, so he took that one out. He became, he chrono-specifically pointed right to the time of year when the half-tracks pulled into Jerusalem in December 1967 from the Battle of Granicus, which was when Greece should have lost to a Persian battle, but it was time for the goat to come across the sky from the other prophecy and take out the, and take out the bear. And he lines it up, and it's chronospecific. And people will say, "Well, but Israel doesn't really have control." Because look at the Temple Mount. Trust me, they have control over it. They own Israel right now. They're, some of the diplomacy and what's going on, it's all part of the plan. It involves their disobedience, Jewish disobedience, that the nations are still bombarding them with trouble. I believe in a way it's sort of like a human shield, but it's like a, it's a demonic shield that's there because that place is sacred ground. And the, um, and, uh, the, the Islamics, the Arabs, will not bomb that place because their mosque is there. So God's actually using it as a little bit of a shield at the same time. When it's time, he's going he's gonna to pop that little bubble. But it, this is very, very interesting. At the end of Daniel 8, we see this reference to the timing, and it's told that it wasn't going to take place, certainly in his time or in any of the biblical time up until, the, up until where we're at now. And the vision of the evenings and mornings, which I was told is true, which is hilarious. Like you tell me the other stuff was made up. It's like, eh, we were just sort of talking amongst ourselves. Yeah, just kidding. No, this would therefore seal up the vision for a first of many days in the future. He's talking about thousands of years in the future. He's talking about, stay tuned. Daniel was so overwhelmed by this, he faints and was sick for days. 
And then he says, afterward I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it, meaning he obviously spoke to people. Obviously said, what in the world? Like he had an interpretation, an angelic interpretation, and even with that, he couldn't grasp the fullness. And we have to rest in the fact that we're not going to grasp some of the fullness of what's written quite yet. And I think, again, here is some of our wisdom. Now to Daniel 9, but tuck that away what we just looked at, which Dan Bruce, after much research, had calculated as being that, this, this conclusion, I got ahead of it here. Today, although diplomatically, they're hosting the Islamic Temple. That's really what's happening right now. Yeah, you have to go through the IDF to get... You have to go through it. You have to they go, have to okay you to go in. You have to go through it, yeah. I mean, and in reality, I mean, and it's a whole long story, obviously, what's happening in Gaza. It's a horror story. But look how they, look, if they, if they could do that in Gaza, what could they do on the Temple Mount if they yeah. were so inclined? Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, it, it, it's pretty representative of that. So remember, from prior studies and out of the fractured Greek empire, there were four lesser empire, empires came up, one being the Seleucids, and that was the little horn comes out of that. So all the parts... When we studied Ezekiel, we studied the book of Numbers 24-7. Uh, yeah, 24-7, chapter 24, verse 7. We didn't study it 24-7, but, but, but it's a good way to remember that verse. It's, it's an always verse. It's a Gog verse. But anyway, so I want to be focusing on Daniel's prayer, which is Daniel 9, chapter, uh, verses 4 through 19. And then we'll go into the covenants of the Bible. I sent you a concise reading earlier this week. And it's interesting. I, in humility, I think we understand a little more clearly than he does on certain small points. But that was a great overview of covenant. Really, really good. I, really, I was blessed by it. And I've put it in, I've inserted it into our notes this morning with a couple of my notes in his notes. So here's the wording the prophet Daniel will be referring to in Daniel 9.2. I want to show it to you in the context of Jeremiah 29. Now, just as another reference, before we get to 29, remember that 29 is before 30, which is Jacob's trouble, and 31 is, talks of a new covenant. For thus says the Lord, this is Jeremiah 29.10, after 70 years are completed. Now, if Oh, well, anyway, if after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts, and this verse is, you know, again, this is a refrigerator magnet or a sweatshirt. It's a great verse, but look at the context. So they're in captivity. Many of them had scars in their faces by being led into Babylon with fish hooks and pulled on ropes. I will visit you, perform my good word toward you, and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. They were reading this in Babylon with scarred faces, thinking, you have good thoughts towards us? Are you a good God if, you're this, if you could be this harsh? When we get to, we're going to read some of the Deuteronomy covenant today. You're going to see God's... We, our Western grid of who God is, is, requires some adjustment so that we're not offended. Remember, Misty Edwards used to say, I don't want to get offended when, it all, when it's all coming down. We're going to have, it's, this is, you know, I, I always say it when I speak and teach hard things. I didn't write the book. I'm just trying to piece it together for us. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. That's always been his heart, to give you a future and a hope. Then, after I restore you, then you will call upon me. 
and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And we throw that out to each other all the time and it's totally legit to throw it out. But here's the context. This is the primary context. They're coming out of Babylon. They're coming out of a place of severe discipline. And now they're finally trying to chase God down the way they should have. Instead of dialing it down to a comfort level that doesn't inconvenience us, he says, all of your heart, when you search for me with all of your heart, I will be, uh, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places, not simply where they bullied you and took you, where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. There's a ton that contradicts Western church right here. Oh, he'd never do that. He's talk they're talking about New Testament times here. Remember 1 Peter 1.10. The prophets inquired of what and what manner of time the spirit of Christ that was in them was testifying when he spoke of the sufferings. He says it was written for us. These things were written for us. Now for the model of the prophet Daniel, himself already in the place of searching with all his heart. This guy, he wasn't waiting for that model to happen in the future. Sometimes you think, well, I'll address it when I get to it. God's saying, find me now. Now's the day. You know, they always say, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of pressing in. You know, as soon as Christmas is over, as soon as I get out of surgery, as soon as I get a new job, new wife, new, new tires, just press in. We want, to really, we really want, to, we want to be little piggies when it comes to this, okay? Daniel 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he, meaning God, would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. If you go back, I want to say Second Chronicles, the last chapter might be 31, or you go there, or, or even the end of Second Kings, I think, you start seeing how many times it says, I send prophets rising up early and speaking to you, but you wouldn't heed. We, you know, we've looked at the Amos scriptures of you know, God escalating his voice. I did this, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't respond. So I escalated. Then there was a drought, but you wouldn't respond. Then I destroyed your crops, but you wouldn't respond. Then I sent in armies, but you wouldn't respond. And then he says, prepare to meet your God. It wasn't his intent to escalate. But sometimes we do, we all do that. We have a tendency to like, you know, it's like selective hearing. Like, God, I really want your will. I bought a lottery ticket. I need the numbers as opposed to I really want your will. Do you want me on a mission field? Do you want me to whatever? So we, you know, it's, we want to be sensitive here. Then I set my face toward the Lord to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God. Awesome meaning terrible, frightful, you don't want to, he's serious business God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. The truth is he keeps it with everybody, but it's which side of the covenant you're going to get. I was thinking of you, Burton. You, Burton was wearing a badge at church and said, experience team. And I said, it's funny. Whether it's a good experience or a bad experience is how you behave. <laughs> so it's all about the experience here. And he says, but I'm going to keep my covenant. And there are some interesting 
consideration, which we'll address a little later in the morning, about some of the promises to Israel. Are they now or are they later when the real revelation of looking on him whom they've pierced is literally in front of them? It's a very, very interesting question, and I believe it has to do with a prophetic ambiguity. I think God has kept us in that place of just wondering. So here's this man. He has had visions. He's had incredible, uh, uh, you know, understanding from the Lord. He's been delivered from uh, from the lion's den. He had his friends delivered from a fiery furnace. He, it's amazing what this man has been through. And what's he doing here? He goes, I'm in sackcloth fasting. I'm in sackcloth and ashes. I'm fasting. I prayed to the Lord my God. I made confession. And he says, we have sinned. He's owning the sin of the people. This is a man, we don't see that he did anything wrong. He's a human being, I'm sure. He did something wrong. But the reality is, he's owning the sin. One of the things that we have to be careful of going forward, as an anointing comes upon the church, or even as we understand things like we're learning here or elsewhere, that we don't have an I told you so attitude, or we don't have they got what they deserved attitude. It's very easy. And it's self-righteous, and it requires a judgment on us, because that's part of his covenant. It's, it, we have to be very careful. We're seeing pastors fall. We're seeing ministries um, addressed by God in these days. We have to be very, very, God, this is a test. We have to look at Israel, and God help us not to diss Israel in these days. They, have they brought it on themselves? Yeah, they have. Be careful. I'm not saying you don't bring it up, but be prayerfully careful. Be in the spirit. No, don't sit there and don't, just be careful. We have to remember that. He is owning this. He's not saying, look, bingo, I'm validated. Ezekiel, he was crying out when they, put, when they started destroying people and there was an angel of death going through Israel. The, Ezekiel had one of the toughest words for Israel. He says, God, are you going to destroy them all? He's pleading for, their, for mercy on the people that he had to prophesy a tough word to. Same with Jeremiah. That's our example. Of, that's real prophecy. It's not like, well, that person offended me 10 years ago, and now they're getting their comeuppance. I feel justified finally. Your justification is the blood of Jesus. You're not justified by someone else getting their comeuppance. It's a good thing we don't get all that we deserve. I'm really glad for that, okay? Neither have we, not they, neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you. It's exactly who you are. And righteousness means you do things right. And included in righteousness is mercy, grace, healing, deliverance, but also accountability and discipline when necessary. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to what shame of face it is to this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those near and those far off, and all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. It's the corporate price that's paid, which is why another reason we want to grieve when we see ministries getting not corrected, it's good that they get corrected, but there's pain sometimes in correction. So please, all of, all of the things, we want to show a lot of grace in these days. Doesn't mean we don't call a spade a spade. We have to show a lot of grace these days. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, so we have rebelled against him. We've not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us 
by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as to not obey your voice. And Daniel understood what covenant meant. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we've sinned against him. How many times has he said because we've sinned already? He's made it very clear. It's not like, gee, God, you surely flew off the handle. And he's confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us because the judges were corrupt. Throughout scripture, you see of the prophets who filled an auditorium by saying smooth things, which people much prefer to hear. By bringing upon us a great disaster, because not ministering truth brings a great sets people up for deception. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, and here, this, you sort of think, well, maybe they'll come back now. All this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Crazy. You would think throughout this history of Israel, they would, every once in a while they got it right for a season of time, but they've never had the corporate, massive re repentance change of heart. And they failed. And when we look at Ezekiel 39, we, the nations finally understand why Israel suffered so much. The testimony of the failed people of God, whether it's the New Testament church or, or the Jewish people, in both testaments actually, is a, is a terrible testimony to the world. And so they could lump us in with these other religions. So when we sin, we're really sinning against the perfectness of God because we're demonstrating a woodshed anointing. Oh, look, he has us out in the woodshed again. Therefore, the Lord has, as is, we did that, that we might turn from, okay, therefore the Lord has kept this disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, here's a Passover reference, we have sinned and we have, and have, done, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem. He knows they're going back there now. He already knows it. He actually knows that there's a return coming in. He says, no, but I need to intercede. This is the heart of someone who understands the big kingdom picture here. Your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those around us. And that reproach actually opened up. It paved a pathway for demonic religion to come in. Because people saw... Jewish faith, and what did they see? It paved a path. Paved a path for a lot of the false religions on earth these days. Most of them arrived way after Abraham. They paved a path. The failure of the people of God paved a path. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. What have we done? Have people seen miracles? A few. Have they had prophetic words given that were real and not exaggerated or goofy, some. I mean, we, I mean, we have to own this, really. Oh, my God, now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. 
Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. Jerusalem, called by his name, no other name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake. My God, for your city and, for, for, and your people are called by your name. That is a prayer. That is legit. It is sober. It is accurate. It doesn't take away any of God's goodness, sweetness, kindness, grace, mercy, glory, all that stuff. But it's, it's telling the truth. It's a true prayer. Is it offensive? Well, when you get back and start reading Deuteronomy, it's going to offend you. When you start saying, when you know, if you ever get read a document and they give you a little asterisk or something, then you click on it, you think, oh, why didn't you put that in? But we're going to read the asterisk in, in a few minutes. Now, this is so cool. There are times in Scripture where people pray amiss. Elijah prayed amiss. Remember? I'm the only one left. You know, kill me. I'm the only one left. And they said, lighten up, dude. There's 7,000. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's time. God will correct prayer. He will. I mean, because he's perfect. He loves us, but he, lo but he will do it. This prayer is so accurate that this angel, Gabriel, is like falling over himself to get to Daniel. Clearly, the angels that had already fallen had fallen. If this prayer was off, Gabriel would address things. Listen to what happens. Now, while I was speaking, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, then he says, yes, I'm seriously saying while I was speaking in prayer. He goes, I get interrupted by an angel. I love it. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in division at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I've now come forth to give you skill to understand. Now, we know at the end of Daniel, there's still things he doesn't understand. But this one he's going to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I've come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. How would you, can you imagine... Gabriel, interrupting your prayer to tell you <laughs> all heaven's rooting for you. <laughs> you are great. I mean, we love you, man. This is a we love you, man. This isn't a beer commercial. This is, this is way before the beer commercials, okay? We love you, man. Oh, Daniel, I've come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of supplications, the command went out, and I've come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are determined, so he's confirming Jeremiah, for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to finish, to close out the, the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make now, he's talking about 70 weeks here. He's not talking about 70 years. This is not their time. The 70 is critical. You could go into sevens in the book of Revelation and the seven churches and, and all the sevens in Scripture. It's a, it's a, it's a number of, perfect, of uh, perfection. This has to do, he's giving him what's referred to as the 70-week prophecy, which still has some cloudy issues in it, but this is where we're gonna, I'm going to read it just so we finish the chapter and I'm going to go back. I'm going to give you a vision to understand what it's going to come to at the conclusion of the age. 
We know, he already knows from interpreting other visions that other people had received. Thrones will be in place. The saints will be being persecuted. But it's, the whole, it's all going to be given over to the people of God. And, and, and we're going to reign with him forever and ever. But he says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to put a, 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 a hard stop on sin to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy. That's when it gets sealed up. That's when we won't need it anymore. That's when in Zechariah it says they're going to put an end to prophecy. The prophet's not going to be trying to deceive the people with, with a prophetic. We won't need a prophetic word. Then. We're going to be looking at Jesus, at a return Jesus. He says, we're going to seal it up. When, in Corinthians, when it says, you know, when that which is perfect has come, the, a lot of people say, oh, we don't need prophecy anymore because the word got codified. And now that we have the scriptures and the word of God is perfect, converting the soul, says Psalm 34. So because we have the word, we don't need prophecy. They had the word all through scripture. They had what they had at the time. They needed prophets. We need them here. We've seen goofballs, but we need prophecy. We're going to need it all the way through till it gets sealed up at the end. That verse in Corinthians that people throw out the saying, we don't need prophecy anymore, also says knowledge will cease. Knowledge hasn't ceased. I mean, that's like, that's goofy. To seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth, it's a specific command of the command, not just to leave, not just to go, but to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince I won't even get off on the whole Dan Bruce thing I sent you. He has another possibility there, which is interesting and possible because the word Messiah doesn't necessarily have to mean Jesus. It's used several times in Scripture for one who was anointed for a really high purpose. Um, Saul was called Messiah, Mashiach, at one time. There was a, there's other situations, but let's just move on here because we're trying to get to a place here. There shall be any breaks down, the 70 weeks into uh, brackets. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. So 69 weeks, there'll be troubling times. After the 62 weeks, but after 62, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Won't be for something he, he did. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with the flood till the end of the war. Desolations are determined. So until all this is over, we're going to see trouble on earth. And we've read this scripture over and over again. And I've told you before that the people of the prince who is to come, people always go back and say, oh, it's the destruction of the temple will be, uh, because, remember, this is Daniel happening before the destruction of the temple during the time of Jesus. Yeah, right after Jesus in like 70 AD, and they go, oh, it's a revived Roman Empire. Well, it's not. The Roman Empire hired what they called auxiliaries or provincials. They hired locals who had a, who had a well-founded multi-generational hatred for the enemies of Rome. The Syrians came in and destroyed the temple. It's, we read Tacitus. We read Josephus. It's, it's actually clear. It's all lining up with who Gog is and which nations and we were at a little going away party for one of Robin's pickleball friends last night, and somehow I managed to steer the conversation over a little bit into the book of Ezekiel. And I was just saying that, you know, these things, the way the Lord sets it up, we're set up right now. And so we want to be a voice here to speak these things. After, okay. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, we're going to get into this next time we meet, 
In the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation of the absolute closure of all this is determined, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. On the, on, all of this is going to get clarified. It's all going to get straightened out by God, and we'll do our best to straighten it out next time we meet, or at least understand it better. So we see the heart, we see the accuracy of understanding, we see the humility, we see the actions of the prophet Daniels, whose writings, again, are not in the Tanakh's prophet section. They're in a, a lesser place in the Jewish scriptures, I believe, and so do many, that when they started putting together the Tanakh, which was the first and second century, they saw the eschatological accuracy of Daniel and put him in with the writings. So they couldn't totally ignore the writings because they were profound, but at the same time, it's, Jesus goes and calls him Daniel the prophet. Jesus. They were trying to minimize. They were trying Jesus. to minimize yeah. Daniel, and Daniel nailed it. And remember, Rome, <clears throat> Rome, uh, and Jerusalem—they were on red alert. Remember, uh, uh, Herod, where's this guy? I want to come worship him. The, you know, the Magi—they're coming from someplace else, uh, and and all this stuff is happening. And they were saying, oh, all these false Christs had come, saying, I'm him, and you know, this guy. Remember when they were, you know. One of the rabbis had said, uh, said, hey, let's not do anything because if it's not of God, it's going to collapse. Remember that other joker who was here recently who, um, who said he was the Christ and it turns out he wasn't? Because the place was like pregnant with an anticipation of Messiah because people had been reading Daniel, much to the chagrin of the people who wanted a religious status quo. God's never going to be held back by the status quo. We get held back by it. It's, he's just moving along. One of the things, because I'm praying into already for this Sunday message, and I, have no, I know where I'm going generally, but a part of it was forward motion, that we just need to keep going forward right now. We just need to keep our eyes on Jesus. He moves, we move. He stops, we stop. Cloud by day, fire by night, whatever it is. Don't, don't ever give God a deadline. <clears throat> so... <clears throat> The covenant, the covenant that Daniel specifically focused on, I know I skipped a few lines here, focused on is addressed in Daniel 9.13. And remember, we read this just now. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. As it is written in the law of Moses. So I want to go there. I want to look at the law of Moses this morning. All of it. We'll be here for five hours. No, I, I want to look at the law of Moses here. But... Um, but first, I want to go to the concept of covenant from this guy, Brett Berger, who I don't know anything about, by the way. I just Googled something, and this came up, and it was really, really good. I don't want to minimize the notable coincidence that we'll cover next time when we go deeper into the 70-week prophecy. Dan Bruce counts Passovers. Dan Bruce counts Passovers as a chronological prophetic markers for the sanctuary being Sadak, cleansed, restored, Ownership restored um, to the rightful heirs. Jesus comes into Jerusalem for a Passover celebration. He comes in as the lamb. You've heard me talk about that, that he's basically riding in on the logo or the mascot of the tribe of Issachar who had the anointing of timing. And Jesus said, I have to come in then. And the religious Jews said, not on the Passover, lest there be an uproar of the people. And God's up there thinking, yes, on the Passover, there's going to be an uproar of the people. 
because I'm going to shake things up. And the initiation of the of Jesus's covenant at the Seder table last supper, he is going to be the lamb. He is going to be the Passover. And so he comes in. And meanwhile, Dan Bruce is counting Passovers. Just a coincidence, I'm sure. Not. Jesus comes in Jerusalem for a Passover celebration and to present himself as a lamb and then tells us he is thereby initiating a new covenant with the people of Israel. That's crazy. Another good book, Passover King, you guys. Reading from what I sent you earlier this week, I just took excerpts out. This is this guy, Brett Berger. I can't vouch for him. I could vouch for this article for sure. I'm going to say good, bad, or anything. The, co the concept of covenant is critical. It's, it, uh, well, it's a covenant in the ancient world was similar to what we in modern world would call a contract, treaty, or a will. Each covenant established the basis of a relationship, conditions for that relationship, promises and conditions of the relationship, and consequences if those conditions were unmet. One of the most familiar examples of a covenant for us is marriage which, of course, is trying to be hijacked by every perverted, degenerate situation and going sideways and backwards and whatever, But because the enemy's warned against everything. Why do I think understanding covenant is so important? It is because the covenants provide the skeletal framework for how the whole biblical story holds together. As the story of the Bible unfolds, we see God is a covenant-making, make-making, making covenant-keeping and covenant-fulfilling God. God establishes covenants with certain people, and these covenants are the way God unfolds his redemptive plan. The covenants are the structure of the story. I love that. Beautifully worded. The Mosaic Covenant. See Exodus 19? That's where we're called, first called the king, plan A, which kingdom of priests. That didn't happen. The Jews failed. Israel failed. So he was willing to settle for a tribe of priests. That didn't happen. He was, he was eventually willing to sell, settle for a fraction of them as being a priest. And, and they stumbled a couple of times. No, they were not perfect. I mean, they did what they could do. But it, start, it was supposed to be a nation of priests. What, are, what does Peter call us? Kings and priests. What are, what are we called in the book of Revelation? Kings and priests. So there's... there's Natural and supernatural authority. We're representing the king of the universe and the commander of the armies of heaven. And our authority goes up with our accountability. So people expect more of kings and priests. That was in that Exodus 19 covenant. There's more there if you want to read it. This, okay, this is and also Exodus 24. This is the covenant God established with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai after he led them out of Egyptian slavery. With it, God supplies a law that is meant to govern and shape the people of Israel in the promised land. This law was not a means of salvation, good point, but would distinguish the people from the surrounding nations as a special kingdom of priests. This And I put some addresses in there for you. This covenant was conditional and defined blessings and curses based on disobedience or disobedience, which, that's fair. Understanding the Mosaic... Covenant is foundational to understanding the cycles of blessing and curse in the Old Testament, the exiles of Israel and Judah, the disputes between Jesus and the Pharisees, and Paul's pastoral teachings about law and grace. Spectacular. 
If he's so good, why are we suffering? Remember when Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press and the angel comes and he, and he says, oh, mighty man of God and you know, blah, blah. And he says, you know, if everything's so cool, why are we suffering like this? And eight verses or seven verses earlier, it says God had sent the Midianites in. So there were things that God put into covenant later, but he was already doing. He was basically laying out the, a, a blueprint so people say, oh yeah, that's what God did in the past. That's what he's calling us to, a life of compliance so that we can be blessed and be happy. We were, we're supposed to be happy of the people who made, who've enthroned God as Lord, not just happy or believers, believers, just tons of miserable believers. But when our happiness is because we've enthroned God as our king, you think, I can rest in this. I can rest in this. Okay, so that's that one. Now we have the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7. This is interesting, and I have some notes in here. This is a covenant where God promises a descendant of David to reign on the throne over the people of God. And I wrote, and at 714, 2 Samuel 714, confirm, confirms the covenantal status of what had already been displayed in the Lord sending the Midianites against Israel during the days of Gideon. That was correction by the rod of man. What's happening in Israel right now? Who is he typically used? Using the same, using the same tools. It's incredible what's going on. It is back to uh, the guy who wrote this stuff. Um, it is a continuation of the earlier covenants and that it promises a Davidic king as a figure through whom God would secure the promises of land, descendants, and blessing. This covenant becomes the basis for hope of a Messiah and makes sense of the gospel's concern to, so, to show Jesus was the rightful king of the Jews. He's the king of the Jews. The insanity of saying the Jews are out. The whole Bible's written by Jews. All the disciples were Jews. The, it, it's unbelievable, really. Okay, now, the new covenant. Again, I'm reading this man's, what's his name again, Brett? I'm reading Brett's excellent writing. The green is Brett in your notes, by the way. Hope he's okay with the green here. Where am I here? The new covenant. The new covenant. See Jeremiah 31 and Luke 22, 14 through 23. Now, this is very, very interesting, worthy of deeper study, and I want to be very careful how I say this, because a lot of this. I'll read what he wrote first. I'm going to read the green first, and I'll go back to my note. This is what this guy Brett wrote. This is language first used in Jeremiah's promise of rescue and renewal of the exiled people of God in Babylon. Perhaps. It promises a coming day when God would make a new covenant unlike the one which Israel had broken. This coming day would bring forgiveness of sin, internal renewal of the heart, and intimate knowledge of God. And then the question has to be asked, I'm saying this off script here, are the Jews in that place yet? And I don't see it. And I see Jeremiah 31 chronologically after Jeremiah 30, which is Jacob's trouble. So the fullness of this covenant upon the people, we know they're going to look on the ones whom they pierced. We know that. There's, there's, we're going to see massive, massive Jewish salvation. We're going to see national salvation. We're going to see a supernatural work. We even see in the book of Revelation that there's angels preaching the gospel towards the conclusion of this age. So we're going to see things that are going to blow our religious minds. And they're going to warp a little bit or tweak some of our preconceived notions on how God, you know, how God works. But I wrote this. So I'm standing by what I wrote prayerfully. This is worthy of deeper study. And in, in the Jeremiah 31, in, in the Jeremiah 31, is after Jeremiah 
30, Jacob's trouble. So a reasonable scriptural argument can be made that the promise of a new covenant really fulfilled to the Jewish people might be after the time of Jacob's trouble. And Hebrews 8, 7, 8, verses 7 through 12, that confirms a Jeremiah prophecy promise at very least eventually to the Jewish people. Meanwhile, we know a Jewish remnant has remained in fellowship with God throughout the past 2,000 years, and we know what Paul said, even one Jew, meaning himself, having come into Christ as proof that the Jewish people are not excluded from relationship. So we are in this don't-get-it-fully situation. We know God's dealing especially with the Jewish people. They're in a tough place right now. Israel's in a tough place. I can tell you from the many Jewish people I know in America, they are not happy right now. They are in a very tough place. I mean, the synagogues are arming up. There's, there's personal defense classes being given by the Hasidics in New York. I mean, seriously. Just, and they're just trying to figure out, how are we going to survive? And the world is coming against the Jewish people. It's the satanic spirit. I mean, how much God allows and how much is just the madness of, of Satan and knowing his time is short, I can't draw a line and tell you. But I'm just saying these are tough days for the Jewish people right now. And their ally has to be praying saints who don't sit there and tell them they're saved because even if they don't know Jesus, they need Jesus. But we need to be modeling a Jesus who loves them. And this has to be done by the Spirit of God. Because there's a time for every purpose under heaven. And there's times to speak very strongly to someone and there's times to speak very gently. Some people you save by pulling them out of the fire. Other people you're coddling and you're loving on. And it all has to be done in love, but we have to be really careful these days. So what we have going on here, there's a Jewish remnant. I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm saved. So God showed me great mercy. Most of my family got lost during World War II. I mean, God, where was God? One of the questions the Jews have is, where was God during the, during the Holocaust? I've told many of you the story of our friend in the Fountain of Tears, that prophetic sculpture, that there's one in a, uh, in a rod Israel, there's now one outside of Auschwitz, outside of Birkenau. And the Jews come there trying to figure out where was God? And there's been supernatural encounters with God as they go through that. I mean, we have heard stories that are crazy on, on people coming in going, yeah, where was he? And then suddenly a prophetic thing starts happening and people who came in angry were bawling, saying everyone has to hear this, everybody has to see this. Because God is moving on the Jewish people in these days and the Gentile people. Back to Brett. This is language first used in Jeremiah's promise of rescue and renewal of the exiled people of God in Babylon. It promises a coming day. We read that, right? Yeah. Okay. So then we have Jesus takes the cup and declares that his death would be the inauguration of a new covenant. Passover. He does it at Passover. How powerful is that? So to my point that the covenant of Jesus is a Jewish covenant, let's look at Jeremiah 31. So consider this. When you think of it, you know, when, you, when people want to say the Jews are out and the Gentile church is in, the covenant is, is really for us now. It's for the Gentile church, but it was, it's a covenant for Israel. Listen to how it's presented in Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming. Fair question is when, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with who? With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant I made with their fathers. Now, when the Gentile world is out there unsaved, they're not, they're not of, they're, they don't have Father Abraham. Jesus even told the religious Jews, you're of your father the devil. So this Father Abraham adoption comes in through salvation. 
He says, so I'm going to make this covenant with my adopted people, which is even us, filled with the Holy Spirit. Even now, we're, we're called to be walking in this now. These laws are in our hearts now. That's why when you feel Holy Ghost conviction, don't be bummed by it, be happy by it. It's saying that you, the Holy Spirit's in you. When you start doing, thinking, acting, something wrong, and, you don't, and you're, like, you're like gagging a little, like you got a choke chain on, be happy. When I first got saved, I was, I was such a bad person that literally the first couple of weeks of my Christianity, I felt like I had a metal choke chain on. I would have to come home from church and call people and apologize. I would be saying things at work and realize, oh, no, that was a lie, but I'd said it so many times. I'm now believing it. I had a backpedal. That's why I'm so adamant about lying. And I, there's something going on we have to deal with in, you know, situations. And I said, I can't lie. I, I just can't. Robin, I ruin Christmases sometimes. <laughs> did you buy me so-and-so? I said, yes, I did. Why did you tell me? I said, because you asked. <laughs> so I know I don't have to answer every question, but I won't lie. I can't do that because the, the, the man who is truth saved my soul. Yeah. And he saved yours too. <laughs> don't lie, okay? Don't exaggerate. Don't do any of those things. Ask Ananias and Sapphira how exaggeration goes, okay? What's that? Didn't go well. Okay, not according to that, but to this, but this is a covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. That's us. Yes. And that's going to be Israel someday, but not, not yet, really. But it's sitting there pregnant, waiting for them to come in. And because what did Paul, what did the rabbi say? He was going off to try to get Jews to bring them back to have them tried and executed. And then, and, and then he's saying, no. He says, that's not it. He says, the veil gets taken away when they turn to Messiah. So the veil was taken off my eyes. And as Gentiles, the veil that was on you was taken away when you came to. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I don't think that guy was Jewish. Maybe he was. I don't know. I'm just saying something happens when you get saved. You see things differently. Talk about cataract surgery. Yeah. <laughs> really, you see, you see things really clearly. This is the covenant. Okay. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. He's not saying there won't be teachers. In fact, there's a whole thing on that, which is great. But he's saying you don't teach someone to know God. That's an experience. That's a taste and see. You've got to have the experience of salvation in your life. I love that. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin and I'll remember no more. Their sin I'll remember no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives his son for a light by day. Now remember, he does remember sin, but he doesn't remember it against you. Like, I don't believe Moses wasn't forgiven because he didn't go into the promised land. But he remembered his sin and he, he, God remarked to him why he wasn't coming in. So it doesn't, he doesn't forget like, I don't know anything about it. It's just, he doesn't rub our nose in our sin. Yeah. It's under the blood. It's covered. And where to do that to? Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day and the ordinance of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar, the Lord of hosts, warrior God, Yahweh Tzivaot is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. So much for replacement theology. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath. 
I also will cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. He goes, I know all they've done. I'm not casting them off. That's a faithful God. So because of our prior studies, we're able to, where are we time-wise here? Are we okay? Yeah, we're okay. Because of our, we're able to understand the Greek empire four-way split, including the Seleucids ruling, ruling of Palestine, Israel, and Syria, clarifies this prophecy for us most clearly. And he says, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city. We understand it. The sanctuary destruction at the end of the age will likely be by Syrians who qualify themselves as part of the Islamic army leading the Gog-led charge against Israel. We've looked at that. You could go back to Ezekiel 38. If you want to make a note to yourself, you could read Numbers 47. And remember that the Septuagint doesn't say you'll be greater than Agag. It says you'll be greater than Gog. Does our God offer a spectacularly well-woven divine plan? Amazing for us to dig into. Amazing. So our hearts will not faint per Luke as we see the day approaching per the book of Hebrews. Yes. We're not here to have fainting hearts, but we're here to be filled with the Spirit of God. And that requires determination, really. And daily, it's like breathing. So our Passover is Jesus. Years ago, for many years, we were saved and we never observed Passover. And it sort of got into our DNA a couple of years ago, or into our pores. And you realize there's no expiration date on that. And there's... In the book, in, uh, in the Ezekiel, between 40 and 49, in the millennium, they're celebrating it. So it looks sort of like there's a purpose for the saints of God to be pressing into these things, looking at it differently because the veil's taken off. But he's saying, Jesus is our Passover. So what is, the, what is you know, Paul says it. We're going to read it. Our Passover is Jesus. Here's an eternal truth to the New Testament church about being holy. It was written to Corinthians, primarily Gentile church. Paul says, and, they, and what had happened, this is a severe rebuke. It's just like the communion scriptures are in the middle of a severe rebuke. Paul had just finished saying, if this person, Paul was a rabbi, understood grace, understood mercy, wrote all the scriptures that people want to wave banners about, about mercy and grace, amen. But he's also saying, we have to deal with sin. And right before this, Paul is talking about turning someone over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Basically saying, if someone doesn't run or repent, they're out of fellowship. They have to be out. He says, because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And then he goes on and he tells us this. It's crazy. Your glorying is not good. He says, you're, you, you know, this is not fellowship. When people are living in outright, unrepented sin, he says, do you not know that a little, little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven. We have to be living holy, every one of us, that you may be a new lump. Isn't that a nice descriptive? I want to be a new lump. Since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Isn't that great? He's our Passover. I always laugh at the old master's paintings. They've got these big loaves of bread on the table. I think, no, nah, I don't think so. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Let us keep it. Let us maintain it. But he's, I believe he's saying in the spiritual, and I, I tell you, if you ever sat at a Seder table, there's something special that goes on there. Just the Lord. Therefore, let us maintain, let us keep, let us not ignore the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's dealing with us, deal, with, he's dealing with us 
telling us to deal with malice, with wickedness, with bad attitudes, with grievances, with unforgiveness. He's saying to us, you better deal with all of it. That's the table. And it's very interesting because now we've done it. I, well, I don't know if we have really, but uh, if someone, if we met someone who wasn't saved, we'd invite him to our Seder table. In the Jewish scriptures, it said you've you got to be circumcised to sit at the Seder table. So this is talking about a cut heart. And he's, he's calling every one of us to lay down everything that's unholy and to, and to live at the Seder table. That's what he's calling us to do. And Jesus, understanding all this, says in Luke 22, when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, now remember, he's looking, he knows what's upcoming. He knows it's going to be tough, 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 tough. With fervent desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That was his priority. So now let's look into the Mosaic Covenant that Daniel specifically pointed to in his model prayer of proxy repentance for the people. Okay? Let me just move on here. Okay, so just yesterday I heard some Gentiles, saints, I heard about them, who hold the position that the troubles of Israel are the troubles of Israel, not the troubles of the church. First of all, we're one in Christ. We're one in Christ. We all want the blessings. We're one in Christ. One member suffers. We all suffer. Jew and Gentile. The Gentiles are invited into a Jewish salvation with a Jewish Savior, covenant plan. My, anyway, and the covenant plan that the Savior made with a room full of Jewish followers, of course, knowing that all, the all people's plan. It's, that's been his plan. Everyone, whosoever will. Isaiah 40 points to comfort, yes, comfort my people. I believe he's talking to the church. He's talking to the church who's going to be reading these scriptures, these Jewish scriptures, and, and he's saying, comfort them because they're going to be going through seasons of trouble and they need comfort, and the world's going to be accusing the Jews and saying, wipe them off the planet. They're like one-tenth of one percent of the world's population, and the world thinks they're the problem. It's insanity. It has to be demonic. No one's that important in the physical but he says, comfort, yes, comfort my people. Who is it writing to except those who are reading scripture? And we know the nations will be against Israel. One kingdom will be standing with Israel at the price of being persecuted with them. And here's an interesting mantra. Well, oh, I have C and B here, and then B again. That'll work really well. Well, that was because I flip-flopped them for drama, actually. Okay, so Genesis 12, 3. This is B, C, and then we'll go back to B after A. This worked really well. Okay, and I'm not on caffeine anymore, guys. I want you to know. Genesis 12, 3. I spoke on this a little in Israel, and I've spoken uh, Israel in, about Israel in uh, California two weeks ago. Genesis 12, 3 is the blessing to Abram of all nations, declaring the promise and with a dire warning. It says, those who baruch you, I will baruch. I will bless those who bless you. And those who kalal you, I will arah. Two different words. Kalal means dissing, wiping off, brushing off. Treating is less important. Uh, basically saying, if you don't treat them as the apple of your eye, he says, I'll curse you. That means there's a curse on the church. And everyone else who thinks it's the Jewish problem. It's not the Jewish problem. They're, they're everybody's problem. They're a stumbling block. I lay in Zion, the stumbling block, not simply the Savior, but Zion is a stumbling block for the world. God's going to be judging the nations and how they treat Israel. No, and the praying people know they're out of order and we're still called to love them. It's crazy. A mantra of Hamas right now, 
Uh, Amir Safardi did a little video, it was very interesting, but I've heard it from other people. And what they say, today the Saturday people, tomorrow the Sunday people. They're coming after the church. Doesn't matter, you can sit there and say, oh, I'm not for Israel. It's not going to matter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we got we got some demonic works happening on Earth right now. So there's more than just these verses that you know that we're going to be reading, but this will be sufficient. This is Deuteronomy 27. Most of it I'll read without comment. One for time's sake. Two is because it's so harsh. I don't even want to comment on it. It's that harsh. It's just scripture. This is what Daniel said was breached. Daniel knew how they were treated in. Babylon, he knew what was even done to leadership before outside the gates of the city before they dragged him off to Babylon. He saw people's eyes gouged out. He saw horror. He saw October 7th stuff. Deuteronomy 27. Remember, this is what Daniel prayed. Now Moses with the elders of Israel, Daniel 27, uh, Deuteronomy 27.1, now Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. Going down to verse 9, that Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Yep. Deuteronomy 29. It begins earlier. Go up, read 27, read 28. You have references in the thing I sent you from that guy, um, Brett, and it gives you some other addresses on where you can study if you want. Deuteronomy 29. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. Now Moses called all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. And I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn out on your feet. You've not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you came to this place, Sihon king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan came out against us to battle, and we conquered them. We took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and to half-tribe of Manasseh. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all you do. All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders and your tribes and your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, also the stranger who is in your camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath which the Lord your God makes with you today that he may establish you today as a people for himself, and that he may be God to you, just as he has spoken to you, just as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. Basically, those who would have ears to hear. For you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt and that we came through the nations which you passed by. And you saw their abominations and their idols which were among them, wood and stone and silver and gold, so that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away from the Lord our God 
to go and serve the gods of these nations, and that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, even though I follow the dictates of my heart, as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. He goes, you will stand out in your sin. The Lord would not spare him, for then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that man and every curse that is written from under heaven. Did I get that right? Yeah. Every curse that is written in this book would settle on him, and the Lord would blot out his name from under heaven. And the Lord would separate him from all the tribes of Israel for adversity, according to all the curses of the covenant that are written in this book of the law. So that the coming generation of your children who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a far land would say, when they see the plagues of that land and the sicknesses which the Lord has laid on it, this is a, he doesn't want the people saying this, but they'll say it. The whole land is brimstone, salt and burning. It is not sown, nor does it bear, nor does any grass grow there, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zobim, Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. All nations would say, here's the testimony again, why has the Lord done so to this land? What does the heat of this great anger mean? Then the people would say, because they've forsaken the covenant of the Lord God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. For they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods that they did not know and that he had not given to them. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against his land to bring on it every curse that is written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger, in wrath, and in great indignation and cast them into another land as it is this day. And then he goes on, and this is another verse that everybody loves to hold on to in prophetic conferences, and it's a great verse, but look at the context. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us. So as we learn them, we own them. Purpose, and to our children forever. Purpose, that we might teach on them, part of it, but that's not it. That we may do all the words of this law. That we may understand it. Where do we stand as primarily Gentile church on earth in these days? What does the writer of Hebrews tell us in chapter 2? Therefore, we must give more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. More earnest heed. For if the word spoken through angels and prophets proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just, fair, equitable, holy reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will, which are intended to demonstrate to the world the power of God, and we've, for the most part, not even seen enough of those. What is, and I quote these all the time. 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 11, all these things happen to them as examples. They're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. First Peter, it was revealed to those prophets, not to themselves, but to us they were ministering things, which now have been reported. It's all been written for us. And we're called to be allowing the complete, the full, absolute, unrestrained, unpicked at, unbuffet style selection work of the Holy Spirit in us to, to have the roaring lion in us to accomplish whatever needs to be accomplished, needs accomplishing to get us prepared for the greatest outpouring that the world's ever seen. It's coming. Right now we see more noise and more trouble than the outpouring. But we're, we're, we're to be positioned. This is to break up your fallow ground 
sow in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord till he comes in and you know, pours righteousness on us. These are the pickaxe days of standing before God, saying, God, whatever it takes, I will close with this. We're supposed to be demonstrating the authority of the, of the warrior God who's coming back to rescue his people. Isaiah 60, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. We're not going to pray it away. It's covering the earth. Behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness to people. But the Lord will rise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles, all the ones who don't know him, the Gentiles shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Woe, God. Bless you, God. Hallelujah, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Savior. Thank you, King. Thank you, Passover King. Thank you, sacrifice. Thank you, Seder table. Thank you. You are the fullness of the law and the prophets. It's all, uh, it's all wrapped up in you, Jesus. And you are a chad in that place. You are perfect in all of your ways. And we bless you and we thank you, God, for your mercy and for calling us how you did, when you did, and, and continuing to call us to this place of absolute surrender, God. And we want to be those people. So we invite you, God, to do whatever needs doing in our lives, God. In these days that you would pour your spirit out mightily we would see the signs the wonders we'd not diminish them nor exaggerate god we not sit here with a, just weighing it against what we were taught god we want the fullness of you in us in these days this world is crying out the creation is groaning waiting for a revelation of the spirit-led spirit-infused spirit-obedient people of god in these days lord so we ask you to do that we ask you, God. And again, if this was my interpretation and it's erroneous, God, uh, or, or incorrect or exaggerated, you delete it. And if not, God, it would, uh, it would build up our, our spirit man inside of us, God, that we'd be more convinced and more convicted now than ever, God, that we are yours, God, to, and you will see us successfully through these days. So, God, as we unmute our microphones so we could say a hearty amen saying, God, that we agree with your plans and your purposes on earth in these days, Lord. Your people said, amen. Amen. Is anybody out there saying yes to God?